for the nine, feeling that wound on basically, no matter any time I try to differentiate on my own, whether it's like an internal sense of self or whether it's an external exhibition of this is an I, it hurts. It's me trying to be my own person that is the problem. And I'm willing to let myself change and adapt to what's going on outside of me. Perhaps then, that's when I will feel both loved and supported. The Big Hormone Enneagram. Hi, I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self president of Filing 458 Trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self president sexual 9 with 1974 Trifix. What up? It's Emika. I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self president with 854 Fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy. I am a self president social 3 wing 4 with a If you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe us on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. One of the implications of the object relations stuff is that part of the way the ego continues to operate the way it wants to operate is it needs its external environment to operate a certain way as well. It needs the object to continue to. do the stuff that enables the ego to to have certain assumptions and beliefs. And I think that's like a really interesting and um, practical way of sort of exploring what each of the types are believing and assuming about other people and basically asking people to do in order for their ego to sort of stay in its in its habit and pattern. And I think the nine is a good example of asking people, expecting people to take up more and more space and people responding and actually doing that and sort of continuing the, you know, this dance that the nine is doing with the world. And I'm really curious how to break that up. So what I hear Courtney talking about or describing is the way that we unconsciously train, like not only does the personality do its own thing to reinforce its status quo, but it's also training the world to res- to respond to you know yeah. each type is training the world to respond to it in a specific way it's like setting it up setting the stage for itself so that whether it's like we end up disappointed or whatever it's like we kind of prompting the world to disappoint us or how yeah we be. set up a certain ping of the dynamic to ricochet in a certain way and it does right right exactly Welcome to Big Hormone Enneagram. This is your Dark Lords of the Enneagram, uh, featuring the returning high priestess of despair, Courtney Smith, to talk more about object relations and uh, give our sixes and nines a little bit more uh, love because we were exhausted at the end of our calls that we did the uh, previous object relations series on. So welcome, Courtney. Hey, guys. And Nancy. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) We were talking about um, Courtney's insights into object relations and uh, weaving that in with her understanding of of early childhood dynamics and parenting and things like that to describe and get a visceral sense of the object relations, um, especially within how they how it works in the 
uh, inner triangle of the Enneagram, types nine, three, and six. And last time we built on, uh, we started with three, went to six and to nine to describe how these types are what are called attachment types. And uh, in being attachment types, unlike the one, four, two, eight, five, seven, which are hexad types, the attachment types in their relationship with their parental figures found ways of adapting themselves in order to receive love and support uh, in, in different ways. And one of the phrases Courtney used was uh, to make themselves okay with whatever love or support was available. And so, uh, Courtney, I don't remember exactly the, the phrasing used for the three, but, but you were describing how um, the three was finding love to look or be experienced in a certain way and, and constantly adapting themselves to try to get that, like to evoke that sense of what the parent could offer in terms of love. Is that correct? Yeah. And just to back up a little bit, when we talked about the object relations stuff, you know, we talked about in the broadest sense, the two kind of main functions that parents are providing in terms of ego development. And the first is what we call the nurturing function. And this was a sense of unconditional love um, and a willingness to be seen, um, seen and loved. And the second function that we talked about was the protective function, which is um, instilling the confidence and support necessary for a self to go out in the world and sort of live to its fullest potential. And what we talked about is that Obviously, all parents um, are failing in big and small ways in their ability to perfectly deliver these two sort of essential features for, you know, relatively stable and healthy ego development. But what ends up happening is parents are doing this left and right, but certain types are identified with the failing more than others. And as they identify with the failing, the failure of the parent, the parent to either nurture and love or to support and guide, they have to make sense with that of that identification and come up with a story basically to hold that wound and go on with life despite feeling that pain. And I originally started thinking a lot about this because as a six and an attachment type, I would talk about it with John and I really didn't even understand what it meant. Um, it was, it, it just, it had, the word had no meaning to me. And so I really needed to go and explore sort of frustration and rejection and this idea that the other types, the hexad types, the wound that comes from a parent failing to love perfectly or failing to support perfectly, the attachment type is basically not willing to call out the parent for a failure to deliver. And instead, what the three, six, and nine are doing is they are, they are basically saying it's on me. The reason this parental figure, I didn't feel seen or I didn't feel supported is because I didn't quote, do this right. And so if I just change myself a little bit, I'm going to watch very carefully to see what provokes that feeling of unconditional love or that feeling of support and guidance. And I'm going to do that over and over again to try to retain that feeling rather than acknowledge that my parents are, are not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and so there's the three, six, and nine. And 
the three we spoke a little bit about, um, this, this is a failure of the nurturing function. And we used that, um, this sort of moment of the baby, you know, sitting on the changing table and, you know, giggling or smiling and looking up and hoping that the mom mirrors her back and the, and the mom doesn't and the baby feels missed. And rather than sit with the pain of that, the baby kind of says, well, other times I felt this love. Other times you smiled back. What, what did I do wrong? What could I do differently? And instead of smiling, they frown, or instead of they smile bigger, or they make a noise, all the time very, very attuned to what's happening in their external environment to create that feeling again. And if that happens over and over and over again, the baby's sense of self, the baby's ability to smile spontaneously because he or she feels like it, or to frown or to grimace or to do whatever they want to do is now being mediated, is now being, is now arising only to produce an external feeling of love. And over time, for the three, that becomes a lost sort of sense of self and a sense of knowing one's own heart and knowing who one is, because there's been a willingness to, and then a totally understandable willingness to mold their self-identity in a way that allows them to feel nurtured by their parents. You had said something, um, you know, about uh, the false heart. And I think that, like, can you, can you uh, elaborate on, on what you referred to that time? Well, I think that, you know, as a six for me, when I learn things about the Enneagram, I, of course, go like, why or really? And for me, as I've talked and learned about how the nine different types overuse or underuse certain centers, you know, the heart, body, and the mind center, one of the things that John and I had talked about, and I think other teachers talk about, is that the hexod types, whatever type they're in, you know, the, the, the hexod body types, the one and the eight are overusing their body centers. Um, the four and the two are overusing their heart centers and the five and the seven are overusing, over relying upon their mind. And that leads to an imbalance in terms of what they do with the other remaining two centers. For the attachment types, Instead, what's happening is, um, and overusing means also sort of identify, like, and John can clarify this too, overusing also means identifying with it as like a key element, a key um, instrument through which personality um, is expressed and sort of what, what makes them them. What makes, their, their, what makes a 101 is a bodily sense of integrity and they become identified with that bodily sense of integrity. Same with the eight in terms of like, you know, energy and intensity. It's like and, an over, over specialization of that center in one direction or another. And in contrast to that, the three, six, and nine, you know, what John and I talked about was like a, a lack of integration. And what that means is, you know, the heart is doing its thing for the three and it's separate from the body and the mind the doing and the thinking about doing and the planning and the, you know, like the will to, to go forth. And this was very confusing to me. Why, why would the attachment types, why would the inner triangle 
have this different pattern of organizing information coming from their centers. And the six, you know, the mind is separate from feeling and the body. And the nine, the body is separate from um, the, the mind and the heart. And, you know, for me trying to understand like what, why would you take information? We are taking in information from all three of these places. You'd have personality operating within all three of these centers, but there's kind of like a, a gulf, like a separation, a wall between for the three, the heart and the mind and the body. And as I was trying to figure out why that would be the case, and I started thinking about attachment and started trying to understand what it might be like to be a three, you know, these images to me kept coming up of, you know, you, you keep things separate when you don't want the left hand to know what the right hand is doing, right? Like if all three centers come together, it's somehow that's not, the ego's not going to be able to operate. And so I started thinking about that and I started imagining, especially for the three, because I think that if you talk to many threes, they've gone a very long time unexamining the things that made them feel love from their parents. Is that really them or not? And I think for the three, they come to believe that's who they really are. And so part of the reason why their real heart needs to be kept separate is because they sort of, they've bought into an idea of this is who I really am. If the attachment types were to sort of acknowledge, if the ego were to admit that their sense of self had been molded to the outside world, no, no grown up wants to say that, you know, unless they've sort of done the work and acknowledged and be really open and honest about what's going on. Real adults pride themselves right on their self-reliance and their independence mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And so the three has to kind of do these like gymnastics around, this is who I really am. And that is the false heart that I'm talking about. Right, they right. basically have bought into the idea that the external definition is actually their real heart. And they need to keep their, their real, their true sense of self dead and asleep and as far away from everything else as possible because when it starts to pop up um, it's not going to feel good and it's going to put the ego in a threatening position mm-hmm. it will threaten the ego's survival um, to hear real noise real information um, from their true sense of self yeah and so then leading into the six from adapting to the misses of the nurturing function to adapting to the misses of the protecting function. Um, how do you see that? Like, in, in, in what, is, what especially did we, did we really like fail to bring out in the last, uh, last time we talked about this? I, I don't think we did the, uh, you know, the walking through the child and how they experienced that miss. I think we didn't do that for six and nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And before I go on, I think the other thing that I, want to say about the three is this this fundamental kind of deceit that what one has been taught to do or expected to do or understood they need to do in order to get by in the world to some extent all of us have bought into the idea that that's ourself and so that is sort of the fundamental and i actually believe that part of the reason people are uncomfortable with threes is the self-deceit is actually something that all of us are doing. 
we're all be- we're all believing that like if we just do what our first pers- the, the doing of our personality is who we really are three is the archetype for the mask of personality absolutely that, like that says it so concisely um and so I think that's why understanding the three, six, nine are really important because it's it's actually a, a trick we're all, to some extent, all of us are playing on ourselves. And the three, as you learn about the Enneagram, you, you just, you have to face it in a way that all of us need to face. Yeah, I think that brings up uh, like what I'm always talking to uh, people when I'm teaching or whatever about is, you know, th- there's sort of a cliche that you're not your personality, you know, like we all kind of get that on some sort of simple level, but to really to understand the implication of it is that your personality is a tool for, as you say, getting by in the world. And like, we put so much pride and narcissism and, um, you know, exalt the personality, this sort of coping or this management tool for instinct. Uh, we give it so much weight and identity. Um, when, you know, we do that in the absence of having cultivated some kind of center of gravity or inner life. But, um, you know, that's so important is that it's not just threes that do this. Like we're all doing this same game, but it, it's just not as maybe uh, obvious to other people the ways that we're doing it. And it's probably more obvious to other people than we think we are being, uh, <laughs> depending on our type. And so if we move to the six and nine, we just can sort of talk about, and David can comment on the idea of them each being archetypes. But I think also it's important to give both of them a lot of time because I think as you guys have said elsewhere, those are the types that are uh, most prevalent. And I think the other thing that's interesting about both of them is just, and we can get into it, just how much they're giving up in um, the way that they've made sense and uh, tried to live and manage um, the pain um, that they experienced when they tried to self uh, differentiate as a, as a baby. So the six, you know, is lying on the changing table and maybe it's missed or maybe it's not, but the point is that the six is not identifying with that. And so I just want to clarify that it's not like the six had perfect nurturing function. It's just that the six is not that's not part of where, how, that's not the wound that the personality coalesced around to protect. Rather, mm-hmm. the six, and we sort of talked about this as the prototypical, what does it mean to feel the protective function or to feel guidance and support? We talked about you know, a toddler you know, struggling to get up on her feet and there's a toy or you know, a cookie or whatever, something that's 10 feet away. And she begins with outstretched arms and teetering feet to kind of make her way to something she wants. And she's trying to do it on her own. And she feels very nervous. She feels scared. She feels hesitant. And she looks around. She looks to her parent to tell her she can do it, that she should do it. And the parent misses it. And rather than acknowledge the wound or and continue to keep on or respond in some other way to the fact that the parent is not supporting and guiding the toddler and going after what she wants. The toddler instead begins to shift their attention to what should I do differently to create that feeling of support and guidance that I need to make it in this world. 
And the toddler over and over again begins taking her eyes off of what she wants and her internal capacity to get what she wants and instead begins to use all of that energy and all of that force to elicit support and guidance. And along the way can lose sight of what she was going for because now she's not looking at the cookie or the toy anymore. She's looking over at the authority figure and looking for a certain reaction. She begins to question how she puts one foot in front of the other because now it's a not about going forward anymore. That's not the goal of this. The goal is now to feel support and guidance. And over time, that becomes this six figure who's constantly looking for support and guidance externally and is feeling responsible and feeling like the ability to get that support and guidance is a function of, of what he or she does. And that becomes the guiding, um, the guiding light, the guiding reason for the six to what the personality is going after now as a way to meet needs, as opposed to sourcing independently, this is what I want to meet my instinct, to meet my needs, and I have the capacity to get it. One of the terms you use, uh either when you and I were just talking about it or on, on the call was this perversion of uh, desire for a, like you use the word perversion, this perversion of um, a desire for a specific aim or an expression of personal will with de this desire for support. And so that the, there was that um, sense of my own wanting gets so washed up in uh, eliciting some kind of, uh, yeah, support. That, that there's just this like this sort of psychological knot that occurs. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, because I'm a six, I can, you know, really feel the suffering, the suffering we create and our desire to manage this initial suffering, which is we, we give up an awful lot and we sacrifice a sense of, as you sort of described, a sense of what we actually want and whether what are our capabilities to go after it. And instead, all of that has now been, is now running through this lens, running through this gate of, am I getting support from the world? And that becomes, it's perverting. Um, that becomes the defining thing the six is trying to go after instead of, you know, what do I want to do with my life? So when you were from this point of view, this narrative of the child, um, you know, you were you were describing how the six is looking to elicit support or to do something to get support. Uh, can you give examples of like what that looks like and how that translates into adulthood? Yeah, and I think that one of the things about, you know, in contrast to the three, who I think, you know, the the feeling of nurturing and unconditional love, I think that part of the differentiation of ego is um, happens earlier in child development. And so there's a, a more limited number of figures in the kid's life, the baby's life, who the baby is willing to mold him or herself to, to elicit that feeling. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes very much easier for that child to then kind of coalesce their own sense of self onto this is what I did for my mom basically to feel loved by her 
And over time now, I think it's me. And there's kind of a coherence. It's false, mm-hmm. but there's a coherence to the to the eye there. It just is hap- It's not been internally generated. Right. I think in con- in contrast to this to the six, this feeling of support and guidance. You know, I I think that because this is about sort of engaging in the world, there's actually a lot of different ways um, you can feel a failure of support and guidance, and I think that's and a lot of different ways to elicit support and guidance from a wider variety of authority figures. And so I think that's part of what gives the six, this sort of, you know, all over the map kind of unpredictability, um, the passivity and the aggressiveness, the paralysis and the overaction, all of that whole range um, is sort of in the toolbox of a six because, you know, when I tried to walk and go for that toy, did they ignore me and pretend that I didn't even know that I was trying to do it? And so I had to start making noise and crying and like wailing that I couldn't do it to get the person to engage. Were they so attentive in my ability to like go after the toy that they started correcting me and like telling me how to do it in the middle of it? And so mm. I sort of instead withdrew and kind mm. of was par- paralyzed by, I need to listen to this outside figure. If I just do it this way, it'll work out. You can sort of imagine that full range of, you know, different ways right. a parent in a very early vulnerable moment may signal to the kid, you can't do this on your own. Part of the difficulty sometimes in introducing type six to people is that sixes can look so different. Like, you know, every six is mm-hmm. so varied in how they express sixness. Uh, that yeah, that's a very interesting uh, point. That that the developmentally, this sense of uh, individuation uh, comes comes in and functioning on an individual level comes later, and so that there's a lot more to draw from and more signals that have to be interpreted, and in, and in that, that results in different ego strategies. Speaking archetypally too, like what you're getting at there, Courtney with. Three has a coherence. That's a, a singularity. It's a single three, right? Whereas six is now the problem of being two threes. Two times three is six, right? And so there's mm-hmm. a, a multiple kinds of splittings that mm-hmm. that represents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then nine is three threes, and then you got a whole other mess. Right? Big mess. <laughs> Big mess. Hey, so Courtney, I would I want to ask you. Um, you know, we're using this term authority figure. And I know some sixes have had a real issue. I mean, I, I understand it's like a, it's a use of language, but I was curious from your point of view, of, uh, have they have a real issue of either, you know, with authority figure as a, as a term or seeing what we are using or labeling authority figures as authority figures. Um, mm-hmm. And that there's a, you know, a part of, <laughs> you know, part of the challenge of six is like, is my my will my own basically or is my own my my will independent and so then uh when when speaking with sixes about this conflict with quote unquote authority figures it it brings up consciously or unconsciously resistance to 
admitting uh, a certain dynamic with authority. So I was curious what you how you know how you interpreted that. Uh, that's really interesting. I had a when I first well, first of all, I thought I was a one for a very long time, and and kind of refused to be a six, <laughs> and then <laughs> or own up to my sickness, sixness. And then, and one of the reasons I gave is like, I don't have trouble with authority. Like I don't even, that word doesn't even resonate for me. Mm. Uh, so it's really interesting that you say that. I think, first of all, in the same way that we sort of talked about the three, needing to come up with like a plausible narrative for how they're still a grown up, how they, we, you live an independent, self-reliant, grown up life as a six. The six is not going to say, you're right, like, I just, like, I do whatever everyone tells me to do. Like, no <laughs> grown-up is going to, like, you know, they've done the work and, like, really see what's going on. Like, there, no one's going to lead with that. And right. so to be punched in the gut with that being sort of a key feature of your personality, um, I think is really hard for people to take. No one wants to hear that. Um, and I think part of the reason why it's such a punch in the gut for the six is they actually know it's true. Um, and part of like in the same way that the, the real heart of the three needs to be kept separate from um, the being and the, and the mind and the body of the three, because if, if they connect to their real sense of I, their real sense of self, the ego structure begins to crumble I think the same thing is going on with the six where, you know, when they get in touch, when we get in touch with, you know, what am I here to do? What do I want? What am I capable of? Um, that begins to, it creates a lot of conflict with how the ego has organized itself. And it's inevitable that those little sparks are going to come up. And so to clamp, the, and, and the solution to that is not to be like, well, I just do what everyone tells me to do. And so everything's perfectly fine. You know, so the six has got to then figure out a narrative, which is it, it, the answer cannot be, I'm doing what everyone else tells me to do. It has to be, well, I'm like looking at, you know, like I'm weighing my options and I'm collecting external information and I'm trying to figure out what the best thing to do is. There's like a rationalization of um, the externalization of will and guidance and um, intent. And the ma, I think it's kind of what I would sort of say, this false mind that the six is using. They're, they're not, they're not, they're outsourcing it, but we don't call it outsourcing. We like let it filter in through this overactive mind of ours of ours and then call it our own. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, this sort of compensating for the externalization of will. Like, because yeah, it's not like I'm just listening to what people tell me to do and just and to doing that kind of thing or just going along with it. But it's still there's uh, a lot of activity that replaces just being able to sort of be in contact with your own in a sense naked will or like just direct will that it that there is still an externalization process but that that the mind uh uses its busyness to sometimes obfuscate the kind of real situation it feels like uh at least my from my perspective feels like decentralized guidance it's like you can't say that i'm being um 
I'm I'm looking up to one person, but it's it feels like um there's this blob of voices that I always have to factor in and figure out what I'm going to do. Well, and yeah, I think one of the things that's really complicated for the six is when there are multiple external sources who disagree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, now what do I do? <laughs> and so, and, and we're faced with, because it's actually it, like we're, what we're really scared of is it's not is la is that support and guidance falling away so how do i thread the needle where every single one of those people is happy and feels like their voice has been attended to and is part of the decision making process and all of that kind of like stuff that a six is doing around their, that like council like that dinner table in their head of oh what does my dad think what does my mom think you know like and then trying to come up with a coherent decision that doesn't piss any of those people off. And at the same time, expressing doubts to all of those people. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And, and part of, um, you know, this is all being done in a very sort of in, through this lens of being rational, being analytical, considering mm -hmm. all your options, considering all your viewpoints, pros and cons. Um, things can always change. There's always new information. You know, one can mm -hmm. never see anything. All of the, all of those stories sort of enable that process to continue, and the the problem is that, I mean, one problem is that the six is really doubting him or herself. Like that's who we're really doubting, and it gets projected mm -hmm. onto these other sources. But it's really about what started it in the first place which is I, I can't locate this internally. I can't locate what to do. I can't locate capacity. I can't locate how to be in this, how, what my role and what I'm supposed to do here and how I do it. I can't do, I can't find that inside myself. Do you, do you relate to these uh, internalized figures or whatever? Do you relate to them as authority figures? Do you like, do you? Like, no, no, I don't. How do you, how do you experience that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, so I think one thing is, so these are just like a couple like different like examples, um, you know, and I, you know, one thing that we sort of talked about earlier is this idea of needing people to show up in your life in a certain way, in order for the ego to keep its story going. And, you know, like, I'd read all these books about like, you know, sixes and authority figures, and, you know, it was sort of had whatever. And then it became very clear to me, like in my relationship with my husband, like I, I gave him so much power, so much mm, authority mm -hmm. in a way that, and I would never have understood that I was doing that. Um, like disowning your own he, power. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until I got like very clear upon like, why am I so anxious about this? What is making me tense? Why do I feel like I'm, this is going to fall apart? And it was, I'm, I care what he thinks. I care he thinks that I haven't done a good job here. I, I care what he's going to say. And so I would never have called him an authority figure, but I would have sort of, there's a, there's an ongoing loop of what, what's his perspective on this and how, what am I going to, and if he disagrees, what am I going to do about that? So for the, for the, you know, doubtful sixes that might be listening is, is, is the experience from the point of view of being a six, it feels like these are just people I care about that I'm just keeping in mind. Is that how it is? Yeah, and I think it's also 
um, you even sort of rationalize it as like, this is going to be a pain in the ass for me if he disagrees. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to, na- I'm going to have to deal with that now. And then it's going to be my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so this so, is me just sort of like getting ahead of my own suffering. So maybe the, the word authority figure isn't, isn't a, a good description of what's going on because I mean, it's like someone who has influence, like you have to factor in, uh, this person's viewpoint in your decision-making. But I think authority figure just makes sixes the description. It describes sixes in a way that feels unfair mm-hmm. in yeah. that they're basically uh, like, I don't know, like a bitch, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's not what's going on. It's just like, I'm, you're factoring too many so many vo- uh, this important voice like you you want to factor into your decision making which doesn't sound like an, a direct authority figure it reminds me of the thing we talked about maps for the six and the head types different mm-hmm. maps and it's as as if other people have maps and they're kind of like holographic representations of the world or or you know a a certain stylized you know hologram and who has the right map or who has the right map for this situation um and sort of not trusting that you have it already inside you so i mean i'm trying to feel around for another concept besides that term authority figure based on what i my my experience with sixes it's it feels like if a six has an experience of you know this person got it right you know someone that they 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 start to trust that you know i need to factor in this person's viewpoint because they might be able to help me figure it out and uh, and maybe over time as that person proves to uh get it right then it's like well maybe this source really knows what's going on and I really have to factor in what they're saying or what they might say. And so that the six has adopted this person's viewpoint and sort of inserted it into their psyche as something that they need to factor in. But it never feels to me like a six is completely giving themselves over to that one source, because at the same time, uh, the six is still holding on to the possibility that everything that I'm getting is wrong. Like there's, it's never fully all the way in into any one viewpoint. I like, I like what you're saying, Emika, in terms of, or like thinking about it in terms of just people I have to factor in. Like that's how I often see sixes rationalizing uh, whatever. Like there's just, they're just rationalizing like, oh, I can't make a decision because, you know, like my mom will be mad at me or my partner or whatever. Um, And I don't, yeah, I think that, I think that it doesn't feel like authority to them in the moment, but I think that underneath some of the layers, there's, there's something, there's a ground that we could call authority, but yeah, it's like giving away power in one way or another, because as Courtney, you were saying, it's like, yeah, well, I'll have to deal with this later anyway. And yeah, as a, like, just from my own perspective, I'm like, like, what? Like, so what, (laughs) you know, like they can fuck (laughs) off. I had, to make, well, I, think- <laughs> I had to make some recently big decisions that like really pissed off my parents and like, you know, it kind of like makes my, like hurts my feelings, but I'm also kind of like, they can fucking deal with it. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, I, I think, I just think the, the, the word authority figure is so heavy handed 
Because when you use that phrase, it just it pulls up the image of like it brings up that wound. Principal. It brings up the the sixth wound. Yeah. It, but it, it also puts you as a child. Like you think mm-hmm. of teachers exactly. and parents and and That's it's the right. And it's right, but it's also kind of like, well, I don't know if that would be helpful and for, for newer people to, Yeah. People for newer people to see that because they would immediately start thinking of the school principal or right. the teacher like, or doesn't yeah, relate to now. Yeah, like an adult doesn't really think of themselves that way. Yeah. <laughs> like I totally agree, but like that's that's the thing is like 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 it's not that we should find a better term, but right. that's why it because it's like it's hitting it's hitting uh, a back wall. You know, it's hitting <laughs> it's hitting the sweet spot. Uh, Something real. The other the other thing I was I got a few things to say about this. You know, the other thing on like another example would be my mom is a two for um, and. So, you know, when we're trying to figure out holidays and things like that, I mean, she could, you know, she'd stay forever, right? And, or she'd sleep in like, literally at the, you know, like in our bedroom, you know, like, she, like there's just not enough like merging for her. And, <laughs> and for me, like, that's not what I want to do. But I, to arbitrate that, I don't say that's not what I want to do. What I do is I say, what's the reasonable thing to do here? So I don't even bother to like ask my, what do I, what, like she wants to do this. The answer for me is not, what do I want to do? And what I want to do, it's my house. So this is what we're doing. It's, you know, this is a family. She has a perspective. She's my mom. I understand why she wants this, but I'm feeling uncomfortable with it. So I'm going to go to this sort of somehow this like, what, what, what's a, what would a reasonable person think is okay? And that becomes the the solution i come up with because because for also for the six the idea that like well this is what my mom wants and i want this why does what i want this get to do, why does that get to be what it is we both want something they're not the same so i need some sort of like neutral arbitrator to defend the position and it can't be about what i want because she wants what she wants yeah I relate to that. I think in that term terminology a lot where I'm like, well, why is my opinion so important and yours isn't? Like, who decides that? I'm interested in how many Sounds people are- utterly exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And it makes having conversations really complicated in my experience because it's just, it's a whole thing. Anyway, um, I am curious as to how many people will, that aren't, on the um triangle types will relate to what you're talking about because i'm over here like nodding and like yeah i totally get this but the reason i'm wondering is when david mentioned the how three is kind of the archetype of personality it kind of seems like six would be like the archetype of the brain i don't know because i feel like a lot of people just relate to this um, kind of slight executive dysfunction, like inability to make decisions without searching. It just this split will. Yeah, and I feel, and I'm wondering how much of that is. There's a lot of sixes in society, and there's a lot of nines in society, so they get it. Or if that's also kind of a um, archetype. I mean, I think for me, and I've like done a bunch of work recently, like where I've had to really kind of get into my six and face some of the suffering um like in a way that 
is not about like what's happening in the moment is just sort of about like, this is what, this is what you, this is what you've created. This is how you see things. And this is what's happening because of the way you construct reality. Um, I, you know, I think the gift of the six and part of the attunement and that orientation to, you know, external guidance, the, the gift of that is a willingness to be moved and to adapt what is the right course of action to new information. It's just that the six is, is way overdoing that, um, that sort of search for new information. Um, and I think the other thing is, and this is what helps me kind of connect to the nine a little bit, you know, part of this idea of like, this is like, it's not, even though it is initially about like, well, is my authority, does my, does my mom or dad have my back in this? That's what mm-hmm. initially starts it. But, you know, as it sort of expands, part of this idea of needing multiple viewpoints, I think, is the six's real fear of making a mistake and having to make an, a decision with imperfect information and, and knowing she needs to make a decision nonetheless. And so over-relying on the mind and over-relying on external points of view in the same way that you talked about the, the Japanese Zen garden, there's always something I can't see. Trying in a very sort of um, genuine and understandable way to decide and move forth in life in on the right path, the way that um, creates the least amount of suffering mm-hmm. for themselves and for others. But the reality is that that's never knowable, actually. And it's especially not knowable with the mind. Um, and so for me, the archetype of the six is, you know, is Hamlet, um, is, is the ability to move forward in the face of unfamiliarity and the face of fear and in the face of, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to do it anyway. And Hamlet's that's actually, actually a four because he's very emotional. I make fun of all that dumb shit. Read the room, John. <laughs> Sorry, according you're saying. (laughs) Well, I just I think that's that like when you think about the archetype, especially like on the journey of sort of the enneagram, the three is sort of the 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 eyes open to self deceit, and that we you mistook your mask for who you really are. The six is the willingness, the courage to leave that behind, and to to do something different, not knowing what's going to happen. Well said. So I, I did a lot of heart work re- recently and I did a psychedelic experience and then I've been listening to a lot of myth and um, thinking a lot about all of this from the perspective of the six. And John and I were having this interesting conversation where, um, and he related it a lot to what you talk about, David, in terms of the orientation of the sundial and the different positions of the different types. Um, but I was sort of talking about how the root of the word to decide um, actually has um, that, like that, that eyed is that root is actually means to kill. 
And you think mm-hmm. about like homicide or, mm-hmm. um, you know, like suicide, genocide, suicide, all of all that. And, and so the idea of deciding really is um, a willingness to kill off, a willingness to kill off mm-hmm. multiple realities, possibilities, um, to go mm-hmm. to, to move reality in one direction versus another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a real, um, under, I think, understandable hesitancy on the part of the six to um, take on that power and um, agency because there are real consequences that can't be foreseen um, to doing that. Like both uh, six and seven have this sense of like making each decision is killing off like a billion other possibilities and so it's like you're constantly in the like mode of the grim reaper like just <sighs> killing possibilities constantly like collapsing the wave function from the undifferentiated like quantum state into a single thing and like they're on the edge of seeing that just massive death of possibility so to kill or not to kill that's sort of the split but every decision kills yeah unfortunately even not deciding kills so that's part of this right angst it 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 doesn't there's no solution right it never goes away that terror um and that kind of that the suffering of the of the six of the fear of harm and the fear of fucking it up it it's impossible actually to through the way the six operates to actually ever quell that feeling um, and looking for all those outside sources to try to, if I could just get more information, I could just get another perspective. I'll figure out what the right thing is to do is it just makes it worse. And I think it bleeds really well into the nine, because I think the nine's profound sense of connection to everyone. I think the six is feeling it also. And that's part of what is causing this terror of, you know, and part of also why I can't arbitrate between myself and my mother, right? Because it's like, whatever I do has an impact on you. And that's terrifying to me. So do we feel like we want to go into the nine space? Mm-hmm. Get lost? We can find it. I think so. I think so. <laughs> yeah, we can find it. <laughs> if there's a place to land. Yeah, I'm really exhausted now. I have no energy left. To give to the yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess All right. Good. Thank you for listening. Yep. Right. <laughs> good night, everybody. That's what happens. You get to nine and everybody gets sleeping. Bye, nines. Bye. Nighty night. I think of like a Trumpian, like, bye bye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so the nine, um, in each way that like the frustration types built up to the one who was both feeling the wound on the protective and the nurturing side that happened in the frustration type that also happened in the rejection types. And now it's going to happen in the attachment types. And the nine is sort of the culmination of um, when they're sitting, you know, the baby is sitting on the changing table and looks up and is smiling and expects the mom to smile back. And she doesn't do so. Um, the nine, just like the three, start to change themselves um, and pay attention to the ability to just be and do in the moment is now is been taken away because it's now 
all about paying attention to what it provokes and a certain, and we're looking for a certain feeling it provokes in the body for the nine in particular, a feeling of, of being loved. And similarly, the, the baby nine is standing on her feet and she's walking towards the toy and she feels very unsteady and very uncertain and scared and looks up to feel support and it's not there. And just like the six begins to um, question, what could we do differently? What could I do differently here to regain a feeling of support and guidance? And I think what's happening for the nine is, you know, basically if, if nurturing and uh, the nurturing function and the protective function are sort of the key um, enablers of ego differentiation, I think it's a little bit different than the three and the six and that there is a shape-shifting quality and a willingness to mold and attune oneself to one's external environment. But I think for the nine, feeling that wound on basically, no matter any time I try to differentiate on my own, whether it's like an internal sense of self or whether it's an external exhibition of this is an I, it hurts. And I think that there is an attunement to changing what that looks like to try to regain the feeling, to restore the feeling. But I think there's also this correlation of it's it's me trying to be my own person that is the problem. And that's what needs to stop. If I'm willing to sort of give up this sense of an I being its own distinct, distinct separate self, and I'm willing to let myself change and respond and adapt to what's going on outside of me, perhaps then, that's when I will feel both loved and supported. Partly too, it's um, like with the emotional center, it's, you know, personality. It's something I can do with the personality, right? And head center, something I can do around guidance or thought or thinking. Whereas with the body, it's so nonverbal, right? That where do you even go with that? It's about your existence. It's about the existence of your body. It's, it's by nature, it lacks language of what mm. you would do. Mm. Yeah. And I think that in the same way that the three is needing to keep their, their, their heart kind of dead and separate. And the six is needing to keep their mind overactive and distracted so that it never connects to heart and body. When we think about what makes something separate, there's, I mean, we begin with the body. I mean, that's the most fundamental way we know that something is its own thing, right? Is, is a bodily a sense, a sense of boundary. And so it makes sense to me that there's a lot of disassociation that needs to happen with body information because at a visceral level, it will remind the nine that they are distinct in a way that the nine will, the ego structure will, will, will crumble. So in, in, in this, um, in a sense, 
resisting the separateness that comes from the body. Uh, you know, like my experience of a lot of nines is that they are very in touch with some of the body's feedback and very out of touch with other aspects of it. And I'm wondering, David, like, what's happening there? <laughs> so, like, uh, well, do you have a sense of what what are some of the things that are dissociated from? Well, as you so said, what, that? what what I I I feel like nine. Well, I mean, like you know, rage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an example, but then yeah. comfort might be way too front and center. Right. Yeah. So comfort is probably somewhat of a universal distraction for the nine from rage right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it's and it's sort of a a padding right <laughs> right you know what i mean it's like yeah. i mean i think of nine as <clears throat> it's partly at you know abstractly energetically as always it's kind of like you're going around putting foam rubber around everything <laughs> right and <laughs> And because if you got, if you got, if you ran into one of those sharp corners, then rage would come up. Uh, yeah. You see, <laughs> right. So you're kind of going around putting clouds and foam rubber on everything, on all the sharp corners of everything and everyone, if you can. Okay. <laughs> and so, and that's a, that's body, right? I mean, that's kind of, I'm putting it in body terms. Yeah, right? no, totally. It's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's like I'm moving around and I'm gonna bump into this as an energy and so I wanna pad it. It's funny, so like, you know, f- for listeners that don't, you know, know shit about what I spend my waste my time on, like <laughs> you know, when it, I, I pick on a lot of nines, uh, I bully nines online who are in the in the four group on Facebook basically, and just like I don't actually bully anybody, but it like you know, like so many people are nines that are posting about, I'm such a four, blah, 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 blah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can viscerally sense that padding, like, oh. and it produces a very negative response in myself, of course. Yeah. And it, it's funny how much within Enneagram descriptions and teaching, like it never, it never ends my fascination with how uh, people interpret four in a nine-ish way to to make you know that 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 makes nines identify with four uh because of how fucking harsh and Mm -hmm. uh frustrated and 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 like pissy and whatever that the scratchy right it's the opposite it's scratchy sharp so opposite yeah yeah like a cheese grater well, it's, it's, (laughs) well, i I think you know it's like really sharp angles on everything everything is specific it's like it's like having a very fine, uh, like, like a little, uh, you know, those little like exacto knives people like cut really tiny pieces mm-hmm. of paper out of You're doing, <laughs> doing that with your yeah. emotional life constantly yeah. and making little slices and distinctions and, ching, 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 and hitting that into the point where you cut everything up and you cut yourself. Whereas like the, you know, the nine is like all, all, all those edges get kind of bled and bleeding rounded. and round, yeah rounded and starts to gooing into each other and it's like the paper isn't paper anymore it's like liquid now and honey or something <laughs> and- so here's another piece though is that because you're doing that as a nine because the nine is doing all of this padding stuff in shadow let's say you're building up a whole bunch of unexpressed 
anger and sharpness and specificity and exactly what I want and and rage and all of that stuff. And so <clears throat> when a nine reads about four and gets a sense of four rightly or wrongly as, you know, um, some kind of emotionally difficult something, right? Then yeah. that's part of it, right? That that that's part of what nines often experience themselves as very emotional. Yeah. And it's partly the backlog. It's also partly <laughs> it's, it's it's all it's also partly um uh just that because nines are so um attuned to wanting things to be calm and for that lake to be placid that's another one of the metaphors for nine is that any small drop is like a big explosion right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you can experience a small emotion as having been huge or a medium-sized right. one as huge right so yeah because if it's silent even the smallest noise can sound really loud right um, I just, when you said <laughs> backlog, I just imagined like you standing there and like a little tiny David in your head going through a file, like, oh, we didn't process this. We should process this now. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, just like from a year ago. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one way to say it too, though, just different metaphor is like, especially with anger, rage, one thing that you're not doing as a nine is you're not defining this is and this is really opposite to four is you're <laughs> not defining your experience as you're going right and so <laughs> yeah. right yeah <laughs> yeah and so what happens on the anger side is because you know like fours and and maybe most types generally speaking you've got anger about this specific kind of thing you've got anger about this other kind of thing you've got a little anger mixed with this you know what i mean there's a bunch of there's a bunch of doors there's a bunch of different compartments right whereas with nine it's all going into one fucking huge warehouse that has one <laughs> door right oh, that's, that's and so and that and well and the thing is that then you have some sense <clears throat> of this fire that's in that warehouse right because it's fire because <laughs> it's rage right? right and so you do not want to open that door because it's going to blow the hinges off <laughs> and everything's it's going to destroy everything right and so that's another reason so then it's circular right because so then then you make a point because you sense that very unconsciously and so then you redouble your efforts to not ever open that door and it keeps building up more. Right. Have you ever had the experience of opening the door? I was just about to ask. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and that's what you hear about when you hear about nines, you know, having a huge rage attack. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. And I want to see that. <clears throat> yeah. You... I don't know if you would. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it it's an it's an explosion. It's an explosion, and it's and it's and it's. I mean, um, it's murderous. You know what I mean? It's and I just have to, you know, I've I've had those explosions, and it's verbal, and I can get somewhat physical. I know to hold myself back, and you know, after this many years of watching myself be a nine, 
I'm not continuously building up so much rage, right, of unexpressed stuff. That's kind of, I make a point of just saying stuff and saying no, generally speaking. But anyway. You know, I just, it must also be, I was just thinking about like where, where nines disassociate from their, you know, bodily sensations and where not. I would think also there's places you leak that in safe ways. Sure. Like when you, when you think about like athletes, for example, another. Um, oh yeah. There's a ton of that. There's a ton of leaking. I mean, and John brings up, I mean, this is maybe too niche to talk about, but like those type four groups um, <laughs> where we're, <laughs> where both John and I are, <laughs> are harassing nines. <laughs> And the, and some of the some of the nines who think they're fours get really angry, right? And there's a lot mm -hmm. of there's a lot of on. In fact, I think nines can be some of the the most hardcore, like keyboard warriors. You know, where you're mm -hmm. like, ah, god damn it! You know, this person's wrong, right? Or and and you see it a lot and they, and they block you and they get really aggressive online. So there's that. And, but yeah, then there's things like athletics and, and things like that. What's funny. I mean, just to, for that thing that, you know, being on that four group uh, of full of nines is like, David and I are usually, I think very impartial and we don't really retype anybody. And we'll just somebody be like, Oh, this is so four and be like, well, actually, you know, like you might say something like, you know, four is actually about being different and individualistic and overemphasizing uniqueness. And the shame is not shame that they don't fit in. It's shame of being like other people. You just, you know, say this uh -huh. sort of basic stuff. And then it's like, like, yeah, the, the uh, scolding and anger, not even like, oh, your point is actually, I think you're incorrect here. There's not like a response. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's a total uh, anger. They pounce. Sh shut it down. Mm -hmm response yeah. shut and it then, down and, and accusations of being like a bad person you know like it's all this stuff come and it's really fascinating well i think that's and, so interesting to think about like the six being so sensitive to this idea of being brainwashed right and this oversensitivity towards it because they sort of realize that it's 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 something that's you know like, it hits too close to home um right. And it's interesting to think about the nine also reacting that way um, to this idea of a, a, an unwillingness to admit um, just how much a sense of self they've given up. Yeah. Well, part of claiming fourness when you're a nine is claiming finally some specificity or it's mm -hmm. claim and or it's claiming all of that backlog of emo of unexpressed emotion, you're holding it and, and, and you're holding it sort of precious in a certain way, right? And yeah, that's so, a good yeah. point, the preciousness. Like there's a different way that fours are precious about their feelings mm -hmm. and I see nines that claiming to be fours are precious about their feelings. Like there's a kind of, a, I mean, again, it's more general in the nines where um, everybody's experience is their own, don't touch it kind of a thing like you don't question it uh or don't question the interpretation of their experience like in a way that like you know you say something that is seemingly very non-controversial non-invasive even polite and mm -hmm. like engaging but then it becomes seen as something negative because i guess you're asking for specificity 
and you're asking for, um, yes, yeah, some kind of reflection or analysis on the state or the feeling or something that, 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 is, that is seen as some kind of violation in a way. And mm -hmm. whereas like the fourth thing is just like, uh, there's a, there's a, my feelings are better than yours. Like my more sophisticated, deep, mm -hmm. nuanced, whatever. But, uh, the amount of energy that goes into interpreting a feeling is endless for four. You know what I mean? Like there, like the nine wants to sort of cut, like I'll see nines often cut off the interpretation prematurely or like, don't, don't start to interpret too much. Whereas the fourth thing would be like, let's get really specific and, and it gets like really narcissistic and, and self-absorbed that way. Yep. <laughs> yep. So one of the things like I was, well, first of all, there was the call that we did where you asked for us to talk about the nine and then we talked about dogs for like 15 minutes or puppies or cats or something. And that was when the rage warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> And, and so I, I was thinking about that. And then also listening to the nine call that you guys did where mm. nines were talking, a few of them were, were saying that you can't just ask them. I think Emika was like looking for dating advice and the nine was saying, you can't just ask me what I think like once. You got to do it like five or six times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> Like that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is normal behavior. <laughs> and so so I was reflecting that first of all, you know, the from the outside world, what what for many other types would be uh, interpreted as, oh, this person's interested in what I've got to say. The nine mm. does mm, not yeah. feel it that way at all. That's interesting. And then and then also and and there's enough of those reps often maybe that then even the external environment starts discounting their own interest in the nine to begin as a response um, and stops even asking or stop, just starts taking up more and more space over time. Yeah, the non-differentiation, the non-individuation, well the the non-expression of it right of your individuality then makes it to where people can't see you and see what differentiates you and at the same time as a nine you're wanting to be seen um and you have a sense that you actually might be kind of boring Right. Because <laughs> because uh -huh. you, you, you know, you haven't I mean, unconsciously, you, you haven't differentiated yourself. You haven't been expressing yourself. You haven't been articulated and colorful and, you know what I mean, and dynamic and so forth. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing everybody else be that way. And so mm -hmm. you wonder you know, sad mopey nine here. Am I, am I actually just really a boring person? Right. Well, for me, it's, you know, like I, we were kidding earlier when Emika dropped off the phone and John said it was because he was like welled up with emotion. Like I actually, I find that very moving. And for me, like what comes up when you say that is, you know, kind of grown up language around, you know, if I try to differentiate, you guys might not love me. 
you may not like me. You might not like what you see. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in some ways like a, a an expression of from an object relations perspective that original wound, right? Right. It's it's just it's now being kind of dressed up in language as a grown up that we were more comfortable using. Yeah. It's again a broken record here, but it's why nines that get into the Enneagram pick almost any other type except nine. Mm -hmm. Similar to maybe, you know, at a different level, what happens with sixes, let's say, right? It's also partly similar again, maybe to six, that you specifically don't see the nineness when you're a nine, right? Because I mean, that's part of the almost the nature of the substrate of what it is is kind of um you know a a dispersion as an energy Mm -hmm. right and so and what Mm -hmm. i mean by that more specifically is like you might see your wing type or your you know fixes or your um uh or your instinctual stacking and type yourself give a number type for your instinctual stacking or something like that I mean, it's interesting you say that because I was just recently doing this Enneagram workshop on coaching and we had these different case studies um, and then we, you know, we talked about them in breakout groups and then we got together as a group to talk about them. And um, one of the case studies was a nine and so we all read it and then we came together as a group and various people like started throwing out ideas my and myself included around, you know, it was like a corporate sort of setup, but it was like, you know, the boss or like, we need to talk to the boss about what he, she needs to do, or, you know, the spouse, we need to talk to the spouse about what he needs to do. And the guy who was running the workshop said like, this is very, this is what happens when you have a nine as a client, you take in that energetic, you start dispersing your own energy anywhere else, but the nine. Mm-hmm. and and start responding to what you like this that that feeling of lack of um collection of energy and don't respond respond as a coach by not treating that like looking elsewhere to give your energy elsewhere and shift your focus isn't that interesting yeah i mean sometimes i will sense with not like i i can see how i've done that in the past because I'll get the sense that the nine doesn't want to be bothered, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. and it's like what we were speaking to Courtney, like of, of how we train our environment to like play yeah. into our type dynamic. It's like nines do a really good job of training people not to bother them. And not saying it's not like, I don't have anything to work on. I'm not saying that, but just saying that uh-huh. there is a dynamic where nines sort of train the environment and other people to respond to them in a don't bother me way. And then there comes a time when the nine's like, I wish someone bothered with me, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I experienced that dating a nine. <laughs> he, uh, he doesn't ever say, don't bother me, right? I ask him what's going on. He's like, oh, nothing, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. It always says that, but it never quite sounds like he's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's always that question of, do you want me to ask you more? Or do you want me to leave you alone? <laughs> in some sense, it's, um, I don't know if this is exactly right, but in some sense, nines would like you to perfectly know without mm-hmm. them having to say. That's the <laughs> sense that I get. Yeah. It's like, a I should know. And then it's, I'm constantly aware that I don't know. And that 
that almost maybe swings back to the object relations thing about both parents. It's sort of you're expecting a certain, I don't know how to tie this into object relations exactly, but it's you're, you're expecting um, a certain, well, just a, an almost uh, omniscient perfection of what you need in the moment or something of, you know, that, that threading the needle of being seen, um, of seeing the nine, um, but knowing exactly how much energy to throw at them um, to make them respond and come out or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Like wanting my individual needs like met and seen and attended to without having to differentiate myself as a person. Yes. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it. And so what, when has that worked for you, David? Like when you were talking, one idea I had is actually maybe not some sort of nonverbal way of communicating that is maybe more successful. David, grunt, grunt twice if you need, (laughs) (laughs) you need something. Yeah, I've got a nine girlfriend and we do a lot of grunting actually. Um, And not, that's, not, that's not a sexual joke or anything. Um, but anyway. <laughs> I highly doubt that. I highly but it doubt is. that. Yeah, it is. No, 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 no. I would never. Um, uh, no. <laughs> um. So the question is, when has that ever worked for me to expect a perfect like, person to well, match like, me? What 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 breaks what breaks through all of this? Like, when has that? What what is? What did open this up for you? What is this that you refer to? <laughs> this, this, uh, well, this, this intractable problem that we, I mean, we all do our own equivalent. So I, it, it, I'm at, I'm asking just specifically about, cause I can see it in myself only cause I've had like made my, had to work with it a lot. And I'm sure there's more in the six, but the nine is it, like this kind of training the environment to ignore <laughs> or not pay attention to, or not think you matter. Mm-hmm. and and then you get to continue to do your own thing and kind of get tinier and tinier and smaller mm-hmm. and sm- and you know less and less and less separate and you know and feel like this is good enough and then i know that there's unhealthy ways where a nine might finally kind of have enough of that and you know just leave but i'm curious for people who are dating nines or who have relationships with nines or for someone who's a nine themselves like and who genuinely are trying to try something unfamiliar and try something new like what what in your experience like what has broken through that and created like a new dynamic well that's a 30 year story so you guys have some time <laughs> yeah let's do it <laughs> <laughs> so i mean I mean, this is the spiel I've done before that you guys have heard a bunch of times. Courtney, maybe haven't, but um, well, I learned about the Enneagram about 30 years ago, and my initial sense was the thing that I needed to deal with was repressed anger. And so I kind of went on a strange program of, um, you know, just becoming friendly and allowing anger and rage and realizing how angry and rageful I was. Right. And well, cutting a long story short, just having becoming 
over time, you know, over the course of years, right, more and more friendly with the fact that I am, you know, at baseline, a fairly angry, irritable person, and being able to express it, um, that in itself begins to articulate you as a person, it, it individuates you to varying degrees, and it, you know, it recedes, and comes forward, right? I mean, it's not whatever a steady constant uh change per se i can always come back um, and i do into you know sort of cloud bank existence um but but yeah just um really anger itself and being comfortable with it um uh means that i'm saying no saying what's good, bad, and in between about any given thing and giving my input on things. And so that's articulating me and giving people a sense of me as a personality. And yeah, so that creates a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so like, what should Amica do on his dates with nines? This is what we all are here this for. Is, this is what yeah. we were finally... This is what I all. am here for. Finally, this is Courtney. Reason. This is why we have Courtney. <laughs> Stop fucking around we get to it. This is the only reason I agreed to this podcast. <laughs> it's like, this is, this is well, the final this is round. Well, no, because I I mean, like, I don't... I, I appreciate what David just said, and I hear that that was on him. And I... And I... And maybe it always is at the end of the day for all of us. But... um. Uh, but I'm also just sort of curious. Problem is, well, I've asked I've asked David this question, and I didn't like the answer because I because there's just, nothing we can do because yeah, well, the, I mean the problem is you really life. I mean you really got to, you you kind of have to do that thing that I'm talking about, which has taken you know is a decade process. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, um, I mean, I'm not done, and and I you know and. <laughs> it's it's all a it's an evolution right but i mean a nine that has no sense of the fact that they're actually really fucking angry right um i mean <laughs> what are you gonna do there's nothing <laughs> you know what i mean you can't there's um they, they will resist it more than anybody too you know yeah, oh they yeah will. They will. oh yeah and but point being about that anger is um Anger is the fuel that is the life force that individuates you, right? So, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I mean, and so all ye that date nines, you know, you're, it's like, you're <laughs> always, <laughs> you're, you're gonna, you know, when you're trying to clasp onto something, I mean, you're passing your hand through a cloud, you know what I mean? It's just <laughs> kind of like, um, it's, it's really, I mean, I mean, in some ways too, the, the thing of not knowing what to do with the nine is partly what the nine secretly narcissistically wants, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because then you are looking at them, you're trying to figure them out. Um, but then a, one part of the problem there too is um, because nines are, a, you know, have that autonomy power thing, then sometimes nines, um, kind of get cocky with the that in a secret way it's everything's covert right um uh <laughs> and 
And so now I've got power over this person that's wanting my attention, right? Yeah. So now that you're in a power seat, um, you know, you don't want to give that away by giving them a bunch of stuff, right? Giving them. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. Yeah. And this is something I, I talked to Courtney about that i as for as many times as i tried to get with nines there the issue that ends up happening is that on some level energetically nines can sense that i'm someone who can take up space and of course i'm i can easily take up space in any sort of interaction so it creates a dynamic where the nine knows that they can take a back seat all the time and i have to be the one who initiates everything and and it's been interesting to see that i've you know been with nines who are pretty assertive and i've even seen nines who that i've been with who were assertive with other partners who, who were maybe less energetically um assertive than i am but it's like uh there's an unspoken agreement between me and a nine that that i'm expected that they just create so much of a vacuum that I have to, that I inevitably expand to take up that space. And then that, that becomes the dynamic. And I, I, because I'm not really getting enough feedback, I'm, I'm amplifying my own shit and they're doing more of their own nine shit and it just doesn't work. <laughs> so I, I have not figured out a way to <laughs> not fall into that dynamic. You know, I've been with my nine for working on three years now, two and a half, three years. and. One of the things that has helped us kind of, he's pretty self-aware, to be fair. But uh, one of the things that has helped us kind of work through the the fog (laughs) is just me being able to sit and wait for answers and also us creating our own dialogue or words. So we have like keywords that aren't as like triggering that we can use instead of being like, I'm angry, we can say, oh, you're crotchety, you know, (laughs) just sort of things like that, that just make it a little bit nicer. So if you're, uh, you know, with a nine, just invent a whole new language. (laughs) Pretty much. That's all we ask. (laughs) (laughs) Psychically know what they need, whether they know or not, and invent new language. It's not simple. It's a whole new world. (laughs) but i i do think that like we were talking earlier about you know us training people in our lives to act in a certain way that um, perpetuates the story of our personality i think that there's also just as much around attraction and i mean the dynamic that you're describing emica is that like both of you guys get to do your personality Mm. you know really well together um and can just keep doing that if you wish and it's only if you're self-aware enough to sort of say wait a second this is this is not what i want this is not where i'm this is not what i'm looking for i I think it's an interesting question like whether sort of like you sexual types can talk about this more but like the the idea of attraction and whether who you're attracted to and whether it's someone who forces you to be unfamiliar or forces you to get to do what you like to do that's a that's a really good question that's something i've given a lot of thought to uh for example i as an eight 
I have had to, at least for the past few years, I've been really working um, on this ability to not try to make attraction or chemistry happen. And part of the thing about the eight personality um, that's maybe not so obvious with me because I'm a sexual type and people around me aren't going to necessarily feel the sense of setting the terms and controlling because it's not self-preser social. But in the attraction realm is I'm basically saying, I realized recently, I'm basically saying that this is how attraction is going to happen. And this is how chemistry is going to happen. And if you're not, you're going to have to go through this gauntlet of my chemistry because you don't even have to do anything. I'm just going to create the chemistry for the both of us. And sort of just being able to let that go and not try to make that happen. Um, it's, it's hard to do that with a nine because a nine sort of like waiting for something to happen versus maybe <laughs> mm -hmm. other assertive types who kind of have their own agenda. And I have more of the opportunity to take a back seat. So that's what I've noticed is like when I'm trying, when, when I feel like I want to expand as much as possible and be super eight Emika, it's, you know, like a sort of a nine would enable that very easily. And uh, I, I recently had some episodes with a three where I, I could have pushed things, but like I got a chance to really practice not letting go and not trying to make anything happen and basically having to do things on her terms. So, yeah, there is something up to that, to certain, like I think for some personality types, nines can actually force them to do things that would be opposite to their type. So it really mm -hmm. depends. Um, so one thing I was sort of thinking about as you guys were talking is I have a ma a friend of mine who's a mom of, of a nine. And this is why I asked David about sort of nonverbal and then we went into the grunting thing. But like literally <laughs> when the when the kid is is having a hard time, this mom basically like tries to like at a bodily level kind of mirror her. And so if she's rolling around on the floor and she's like crying or whatever, the mom gets down on the floor and is like basically trying to create, as David was describing, like a sense of connection that's at, at the body level. So, and if there's safety there, then, and a feeling of connection there, then the kid is more likely or more willing to kind of express because there's been this affirmation not using language around sort of i'm with you that's interesting um, i don't um, know what the adult equivalent sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i roll around on the floor with david too <laughs> it's a beautiful moment yeah it is yeah <laughs> lots of sweat i i i just grunting is important <laughs> yeah we gotta mirror his grunts <laughs> And the throat clearing. Now <laughs> 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 uh, we know what he's been, oh. he's been asking for all this time. That makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, I've been, that was, a, that was like a mating call. A <laughs> secret signal to, for us to hear about him. <laughs> the new <Yeah>. language. <laughs> Such a language. Uh, do you, we act, me and Brian actually talk and grunts a lot uh-huh uh -huh. <laughs> like that's an actual thing 
We have different really? sounding. Yeah, we have different sounding grunts for what we want to say. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's kind of fantastic. It is because we can say things when we're around people, not make them to not not clue them into what we're saying. They just think we're weird. You just around people going. Ugh, yep. Uh. <laughs> Pretty much. So invent a new language is a legit thing that we have to do for our minds. Yes, Nothing. it's very useful. You just need <laughs> just need to be creative, really. Time yeah. maintenance slots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, David, what do you think about, sorry, the archetype for the nine? And what, how do you talk point. about that? Well, doing my elementary school iterations of three, um, mm-hmm. nine is now three threes, right? So that's a, a certain kind of, like six is at least a split, which is a, a yes and a no. And like a no is, um, you know, um, there's some, you're pushing against something, right? There's there's something there, right? You're there's um, whereas the nine is the the three threes is it's sort of like you're a facsimile of this. <laughs> Just a bunch of noises. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, it's sort of like your facsimile of an integration, right? of the opposites so now you're it's sort of an embodiment you know it's the thing of like you talk about with the personality type is an imitation of the essence quality mm-hmm. and you're imitating let's say um that sort of um unifying function right or what's the word the reconciliation is that the john mm-hmm. is that the, yeah, the reconciling three? force reconciling force so whereas sixes are sort of taking in information then and then splitting like 50-50, just constantly peeling off into 50-50, nines, it's sort of your reconciling, reconciling, reconciling. You're in a loop of um and your the, the reconciling is integrating into your body. I don't know if this is too abstract, but you know what I mean? It's like your your being is reconciling with everything and so you are the reconciling and you're only the reconciling you're not the thing that reconciles right you're not the separate thing you're just this loop it's sort of like you are the triangle right of the attachment types right because you're the ruler you're the nine you're the badass at the top so the king the king so yeah so you're circling and and so a circle is zero it's nothing right so there's the nothingness of the non individuation right but a circle is also encircling everything so you're the everything so you're the nothing and the everything and that's sort of the paradox of nine at the archetypal level in uh egypt uh the first plurality was three rather than two because twos were opposites that cancel each other out. And so plurality mm-hmm. more than oneness was expressed first with three. And so three threes uh, represented completion. So the Ennead, if you, they have all these Enneads and things that I think are the origins of the Enneagram itself. But mm. um, 
Yeah, they represented their gods in pair, in groups of nine as this whole as the representation of the all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did it's they have a to... Euroboros also in Egypt? So, so, sorry, did they have their Ouroboros? Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh huh. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think they had sure. things that represented the same principle, but I don't know if they had a snake eating its tail. Yeah. It's interesting, also, like if you think of the three six nine as the the journey of self-realization um you know the three the idea of waking up to what's really going on and what and this idea Mm -hmm. of personality versus being and the six sort of the courage of moving forward and trying something different um and stepping into the unfamiliar and then the nine is sort of the the culmination of that of you know being itself um as the reconciliation of paradox yeah so that pings the sundial thing too right because three is on the east it's the waking up it's the sun at dawn and six is going into the dark of the unknown right and nine is sort of the undifferentiated center the sun at high noon I don't know what's interesting. Good about you're doing that, it. But... You're doing it that way. Well, you're, it's, it's funny. You're you just. I did it clockwise, like, and you just did it counterclockwise. I do um, it counterclockwise. Yeah, and my way is the right way. <laughs> uh. <laughs> of course. Okay. So, the god of the enneagram is spoken, and. <laughs> David and I have I, with that I have to uh, get going. Okay, bye. All right, good night, y'all. Oh, it's fun, guys. Good night. Bye.